All right, all right, all right. Good morning, church. That was not a rhetorical good morning. We are a charismatic church. We like to hear back from you. Good morning, church. Good to see you. Thank you for coming. Uh, they told me to tell you that our screens went out during the first service, these big screens back here. And um, the, the, the Chinese church would tell us that we don't need LED screens to do church, okay? The underground church in China is like, bless your heart. You're going to be fine, okay? So anyway, uh, the, the screen, these screens right here will have the scriptures up on them. Uh, we are thrilled you're here. One announcement before we get started is that this Tuesday, February 7th, and then a couple Tuesdays from now, February 21st, we have a men's conference and the theme is keeping in step with the spirit. So it's going to be gathering around round tables, talking small groups. We'll have food on the 21st. Pastor Gabe and Pastor Chad are going to be leading that. So there's a table in the lobby you can get signed up at or you can go online, but it's going to be a great time together. So avail yourselves of that men. Uh, February 7th, uh, 630 in the tent. Um, we are in week five of our series going through the Sermon on the Mount. And these are red letters. And some of you got those Bibles with the old red letters. Jesus is talking here. And so what I'll do is I'll read this text and then I'll pray and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord from King Jesus himself. He says this in Matthew 5, 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And Jesus goes on. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, dang. Wow. Before we pray, the title today of the sermon is The Prohibition, The Problem, and The Healing Practices. The Prohibition, The Problem, and The Healing Practices. Let's pray. Lord, you have to speak today. Because if we came here to hear a tricky talk, we've wasted our time. We're not here to be entertained. We're not here because we didn't have something better to do. We're here because God speaks. And when God speaks, you change things. The word of God goes forth. And, and it's like the rain and the snow that come down from the heaven and water the earth. That's what Isaiah said. And so, Lord, we pray that you would rain on us today with your word, that you would heal us today with your word, that you would transform us today with your word. Lord, we are here. Church, would you just begin to say, come, Holy Spirit. Would you, welcome, would you welcome the Lord to speak to you today? Lord, we are ready for you. We are open to you. Lord, have your way among us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Christianity's founding document is found right here in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus comes and the disciples gather around him and the crowds press in and he sits down on the mountaintop and he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are the meek and blessed are the merciful and blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are the pure in heart. Jesus is beginning to say, this is what it looks like to live in the power of the kingdom. So this is the founding document that Jesus gives us and what we discover is that Jesus has launched this kingdom announcement and he's got something to say about a new kind of sexuality. Jesus wants to talk to us about everything. Everything is on the table here in the Sermon on the Mount. 
And, and, and it's important for us as we get started here today, as we look at this text, to just name the moment in time that we inhabit, the societal moment that we're living in. We're living in a sex-saturated society. Magazine covers and supermarkets and internet pop-up ads and, and TikTok and Tinder and Instagram and Carl's Jr. terrible cheeseburgers. They can't just sell you a terrible cheeseburger. They have to put someone up there in a bikini because the cheeseburger's not good enough. And so they're trying to get, like everywhere you go, you're checking out at the grocery store and you've got your four-year-old sitting in the front of the cart and you're having to go squirrel, you know, look over there. Like you don't want them to see the magazines that are right there in front of them. We are living in a sex-saturated society. The Sermon on the Mount tells us that God has to say something about our sexuality, but it doesn't play well in our culture that says, no one tells me what to do. My body, my choice, follow your heart. You be you. I'll live my own life. As long as there's consent between two people, it doesn't really matter. Our society is is trying to stiff arm a God that might have an opinion on sexuality. I've got this. I'm good. Leave me alone. I'll handle this from here. And our culture idolizes pleasure and desire. Uh, We've we've lost a sense of collective moral knowledge and of common virtue. There used to be a day in America where you could say, well, at least we all agree that you can't do this. And that day is gone. A sense of collective virtue and common knowledge of of what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. Like the, the boundary lines, Solomon talked about the ancient boundary stones. He says, don't move an ancient boundary stone. The, the way that God created his world and, and we have just chucked away every ancient boundary stone and we've called it good. So we live in a society, replaced it, those ancient boundary stones with our own opinions, our own feelings and this sense of autonomy. Ronald Rollheiser, a great scholar and theologian, he, looking at this moment that we live in, he says, there has been a divorce in Western culture between religion and Eros. And Eros is that ancient God of the the pantheon that was the God of fertility and the God of passion. So he says, there's been a divorce between religion and Eros. And like all divorces, it was painful And as in all divorces, the property got divided up. Religion got to keep God and the secular got to keep sex. Have you seen this? Oh yeah, you you worship God, that's fine, do your thing. Isn't that precious that Christians go to a building on Sunday mornings and sing songs and give their money and, and open the holy book? That's great, but don't tell us what to do with our bodies. In the Western moment we live in, religion got to keep God and the secular got to keep sex. And what we're seeing here in the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus comes to remarry the two of those. What God has joined together, let no person separate. Jesus says, yes, you you worship, and worshiping has something to say about what you do with your bodies. Jesus says you cannot fracture those two, and to the extent that they are fractured in you, you are fractured. So Jesus wants to bring these two back together. And so our text today, here's the prohibition. The prohibition is adultery. Jesus is 
teaching and what he's doing is he's recalling what the ancient Hebrews would have known from Moses who went before the great prophet of Israel climbs Mount Sinai and the cloud descends and thunder and lightning and God has an opinion and God speaks and he scratches it out on the tablets and he gives the tablets to Moses and Moses comes down the mountain with that veil over his face because his face is glowing so bright because he's been in the presence of God and one of the things he says that God said was thou shalt not. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And so everyone listening to Jesus would have understood, yeah, there's a societal norm here. Yes, we get it. Thou shalt not. That's the prohibition. But I want to define simply for us today what adultery is. And I'll say adultery is having sex with someone who is not your spouse. So some of you young ones, you're not married yet. And you go, yeah, adultery is for like those married people to talk about. And I'll just say to you, the church has prohibited premarital sex for all these years. The scriptures talk about this. Why? Because if you get in bed with them, what you're doing is you're having sex with someone's potential future spouse. That's not yours. Like, that's not for you to do. You don't get that. Like, God says, stay clean and and be holy, for I am holy. And adultery is having sex with anyone who is not your spouse. There's two prominent realities that, that would have been in place for these people who were listening to Jesus on the side of the mountain that day. They were, they were everyday realities for them that have also become sort of biblical metaphors for us. So Jesus is talking to agrarian people. 95% of them in ancient Israel would have worked small subsistence farms and they would have known the ground and tilled the ground and planted the seed and they would have prayed for rain and sunlight and they would have depended on God to be good to them so that once the seed is fertilized in the ground, it would produce a great crop, a great harvest, and then there would be joy in their homes and they'd have all they need. And Jesus is talking to these people about sex and and the two sort of biblical metaphors that come to us today as we think about sex is the seed and the harvest field. God made it from the very beginning where the man is carrying the seed and and the woman is spoken of in scripture as this metaphorically like she is the, the womb is the harvest field. And so the seed is sown and it goes into the soil and it springs up to life and then the harvest comes. And so Jesus is talking to these people about their sexuality and very often he uses agrarian language to say it's the same way with our bodies. And it's just important for us to name that in the moment we live in today, people are scattering their seed at random. People are just running around the globe. It just doesn't matter. And and I'll say to you today that... uh, In our day, love is separated from sex and sex is separated from responsibility, right? Like, am I making this up, right? First of all, everyone breathe. (laughs) Everyone breathe. When you start talking about sex in church, people start looking at their shoes and they get really uncomfortable and and you stop breathing. You're getting 40% of the oxygen you should be getting. Everyone breathe and everyone look up at me. We're okay, all right? In our day, sex is separated from love. And love, is separ- it's, it's been separated from responsibility. But Jesus is talking to us using agrarian language to say, commit 
to the field that I've given you. Commit to the land, work that ground and, 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 and sow the seed and reap the harvest and, and look up to the heavens and say, God has been good to me. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. This is all I need and God has been good. But we're living in an age that, that is not committed to any one place or any one person. We're just running around the globe, scattering our seed and, and we don't have to pay anyone's bills and we don't have to be responsible. We just think sex can be sex on its own. And sex has always been rooted in the context of covenant relationship, of faithfulness, of focused affection, of look, this is where my eyes are. This is where my hopes are. And so the prohibition that Jesus gives us today is an ancient prohibition that these people would have known, which is do not commit adultery. But now let's turn to the problem. Because it's easy to stop with the prohibition, but Jesus wants to to drill down deeper to the root of the issue, and the problem is lust. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, and that's correct. But I also tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, Jesus is talking in a patriarchal society. And so when he says the man, a, a man committing adultery, he's, he's talking about women too. Like lust is the problem for all of us and it must be uprooted. It must be taken out of our lives. Six times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. So what he's doing is he's taking the common knowledge. He's taking the Mosaic law. You've heard the commands, thou shalt not, and thou shalt not, and thou shalt not. And I didn't come to overturn those or to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. But I want to take you into a deeper understanding of what God is asking of you. You have heard it said, but I tell you. And so I've translated, this is the DG translation of Matthew 5, 27, the Daniel Grothy translation. And I'll just read it to you here. You have heard it said... Just keep your body out of bed with them. But I tell you to also keep your mind, your emotions, and your hopes out of bed with them. Keep your affections out of bed with them. Keep your desires out of bed with them. Jesus says, look, it's not okay just to stay out of bed with the wrong people. He's like, because the devil could still have you trapped in lust. The devil could still have you with a wandering eye. The devil could still have you ungrateful for the gifts that God has given you. So you could mask it and you could fake it like you're being faithful. But if the devil has, has, has taken over your heart with lust, you are still trapped in darkness. Jesus is moving from strictly addressing deeds to addressing desires. We want to just have a conversation about the deeds. Well, I didn't do that. Well, I'm fine there. Well, and Jesus goes, but, but has it taken root in your heart? Jesus is coming to heal us to the deepest places, to race past just our outside deeds and to come and look at the inside of our desires. Jesus wants to heal us to the deepest places. So what is lust? The, the Greek word that Jesus uses in this sermon is epithumo. And it simply means to look with lustful intent, to yearn for, to covet for the purpose of consumption. Love, it has been said, is living for another person's good, even when it costs you. Lust is trying to live for your own good at the expense of someone else. 
to, to consume someone else, to yearn for someone else, to, to rip something away from someone else, a purity, a holiness, to, with your desire to hook into them so that you can feel better about yourself and it's gonna make them pay the price. That's what lust is. Jesus says you've got to root out Lust. We objectify today and we depersonalize and we dehumanize with our sex-saturated society. We're not treating people as fellow image bearers in the image of God. But what we're going to do today is we're at New Life Church going to be committed to talk about everything. The sticky pages of your Bible, right? The sticky pages that you don't want to open up or that are just kind of hard, right? We're going, to, we're going to open up the sticky pages of the scriptures and we're going to say the hard things. And typically in church, uh, what happens is two, two extremes. When we talk about a text like this, sexuality, we're either mean or we're mute. We, we talk as if God is mad and everyone's going, you know, God wants to send us to hell and he's going to strike us with a lightning bolt. And we wag the finger and we shout at people and, and we stand up on these stages and we shame people into silence and into hiding. We're either mean, which we are not going to be, or we're mute. Oh, just, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's fine. Everything's fine. It just doesn't matter. Just we're waiting for heaven and God is just so gracious and he doesn't really care. He's just kind of the benevolent grandfather in the clouds who just, you know, he's whatever is fine. Just live your truth. That is not who God is either. God is not mad and trying to destroy us and God is not trying to shame us into hiding, nor is he the kind, benevolent grandfather who has no opinions. He is the God who is holy. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, be perfect even as your heavenly father is perfect. We're not gonna be mean and we're not gonna be mute today. Thanks, mom. Appreciate that. A bit of details about the moment we're living in to just kind of help put this in the soil of our own lives. Pornography has taken over the first century or 21st century West. Um, and it's not, it used to just be thought of as a male problem, but stats show us that 33% of all visits to these sites, it's, it's females, 66% males. Uh, it, it, it's, it's rampant. It's everywhere. It's, uh, in studies that have looked at extramarital affairs, it's 300% more likely that the person who commits adultery has been consuming porn leading up to that. It's, it, 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 it's just everywhere. It's rampant. It's normal and celebrated amongst our teens and young adults. It's confusing. And, and, and 90% of our teens and young adults are either positive about pornography or just neutral. I, I'm not really sure what I think about it. Either positive or neutral. And actually in a study that came out recently, the majority of teens and young adults see pornography as less objectionable than not recycling. God have mercy. Less of like, you don't recycle? Oh my gosh, could you not love, are you not green? Do you not love the planet that God gave us? Come on, take up your responsibility. Make sure you recycle pornography. Eh. Friends, what has happened to us? The enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. And what he's done is he's lured us away and he's drawn us down a path that is for our own destruction. And Jesus is here today to say, wake up wake up. I want to save you. I want to redeem you. It's a come home. 
Jesus says root out lust, but let me, let me clarify something here. Sexual desire is not bad. Sexual desire is a gift from God. In the garden, he brings the man and the woman together and he says to them, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. I need you to recreate. I am the God who creates and I've created this beautiful world and I've put the two of you together. You are now flesh of each other's flesh and bone of each other's bone and have children and multiply and bless the world and go for it and raise up your clans and raise up your tribe. Sexual desire is not bad. It is a gift from God and it is a gift from God that the enemy is trying to pervert at every turn. But we need to say at the very beginning, sexual desire is not bad. Jesus is not saying we need to be less sexual. Jesus commanded them to go for it, to be fruitful and multiply. And Jesus is also not prohibiting the appreciation of beauty in God's world. He's not saying that if we find someone attractive that we've messed it up. And very often we teach our children this way and we shame them because we're scared. We know how powerful sex is and how strong desire can be. And so we just throw water all over it and say that it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. But if you see someone that you find attractive, if you see something in this, in this sensory world that God created, the question is, what do you do? Here's what you do. You go, good job, God, and you keep walking. You're not crazy for feeling what you feel or seeing what you see. We are see, taste, touch, smell, experience creatures like God made us this way. So if you see it, what it means is that you're a human, but what you do with that. Adultery starts with a stare, not with a look, because you could, like, we see things, looks happen, boom. But what you do with it matters. Adultery is when you start to, to, to stare into and dream about a future there and get your hopes attached and your affections attached. And you're starting, a world is beginning to be built in your subconscious and in your imagination. And you start building your life in that direction. And you start finding ways to sneak around and to create opportunities to bump into that person and have conversations and act like it was an accident. No, adultery starts with a stare that you keep saying yes to. So if you see something that's beautiful, praise the name of the Lord and keep moving. Go, good job, God, uh, amazing, yep, okay, next. And you, and, you, and you keep that short account, you keep your heart in check and what happens is God will preserve your holiness. Friends, I'll just say to you, those of you especially who have children, I wanna encourage you when you're talking to your kids, bless the desire, but correct the direction. Bless the desire because it's God given. Again, I have two teenagers. It's very easy for all of us who have kids to get scared and we know how high the stakes are. And so what we do is we furrow the brow and we kind of shout at them, like, you stay. And what happens is we're communicating to them that we don't trust them and, and, and that sex is bad and desire is bad. And I'll say to you if you do that to your children, you lose them. If you, if you curse the desire, you lose them. If you shame the desire, you lose them. If you act as if they are the only ones on the planet that are weird because they have desire, you will lose them. The goal is at the end of a long day when something is stirring up in their hearts, the goal is that they will come and sit at the foot of your bed and go, hey, can I tell you what I'm feeling? And you go, thank you so much for sharing that with me. 
How can I encourage you? And be careful and pay attention to this. And let's pray and let's keep the conversation going. And you'll show up one day and you'll see that your heart is connected to your child and they will have made it. Will there be bumps along the way? Absolutely. But they will make it. We need to remind ourselves that temptation is not a sin. Jesus was tempted. And yet he was the one who was without sin. Temptation is not the sin. It's what we do with the temptation that matters. Friends, it's important to say that sexual desire is not bad. Correct the direction, but don't curse the desire. Bless the desire and teach your children how to steward their sexuality. Can you say amen today, church? Temptation is not the sin. It's what we do with it. The prohibition is adultery. The problem is epithumo, it's lust, it's, it's coveting after someone else for your own consumption. But what are the two healing practices? I wanna put the two healing practices in front of us today. They're quick, they're simple. We'll come and receive communion and worship here in just a minute. But the two healing practices, the first one is fasting. Can you say fasting? They ought to call it slowing. Because when I'm starving myself in the presence of God, there's nothing fast about it. I, it's, it's, I'm, uh, I'm hangry and I got something stirred up. Kids, you know, stuff that I could stomach, you know, with a, with a full stomach, with an empty stomach, everything's just kind of chipping at me. And, and, and Jesus goes out into the wilderness for 40 days, no food and no water, and he's tempted of the devil. In those moments of fasting, what happens is it's a competi competition between good and evil, and God is there with his angels to strengthen you and to uphold you, and the enemy is coming to you to say, hey, that stone, I know you're hungry, that stone looks really good, and you could turn that into bread. And if you are the son of God, God, go ahead and show off. Make this thing work for your own pleasure, Jesus. And Jesus falls on his knees and says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When you're fasting, what you're saying is I'm so hungry and I have so many desires and I have so many appetites, but above everything on planet earth, the thing that I need to satisfy my desires is you, oh God. I long to be fed by you. I long to be strengthened by you. I long to be in lockstep with your spirit. Make me clean to the deepest places of my being. The enemy is here to try to lead me astray and to try to get me to fall off track. But God, here I am in your presence. When you fast in the presence of God, what you're doing is you're practicing your no muscle. No. Some of you, again, young ones who aren't married yet, why would I encourage you to not have premarital sex? Because if you can stay clean before you're married, if you can say no before you're married, what you're saying to your future spouse is, I can say no when I'm on that business trip. I can say no when I, when, when I see someone else at the office. I can say no, I'm practicing the no muscle, I'm getting strong in holiness, and when the temptation comes in the future, I know how to do this, why? Because I've lived in the presence of God and he has chastened me and he has taken out of me those evil desires. He's cleansed me from the deepest places, not just my deeds, but my desiring mechanism. Fasting is a great way to practice the no muscle. It's a great way to grow in holiness and it will be something that will be useful for you for the rest of your life. Sex is like a fire. It, it can either warm a house or it can burn down an entire region. We've seen some wildfires here in Colorado Springs in the last 15 years. You put a fire in a fireplace in your home 
and you sit there with a cup of coffee and a book and you talk to your family and, and you just read, what a blessing, what an environment, the ambiance, the, the warmth and, and the, the goodness. Fire is good when it's good and fire is destructive when it's bad. Sex is great when it's received within the boundaries that God has given us. When it's put in the fireplace, it warms the whole house. But when, when sex is taken out of that safe boundary, that safe fireplace, it burns down an entire region. So friends, fasting matters. It's an ancient practice. And I encourage you to find rhythms where you come to the presence of the Lord in the World Prayer Center or do it at home in your, in your prayer closet. But present yourself before the Lord and deny yourself some of these pleasures and let God retrain your desiring mechanism. Can you say amen today? Fasting is the first healing practice. But the second healing practice I want you to, to take on board is the practice of feasting. Feasting. If we're just fasting, we're, 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 we're denying ourselves. That's great. We, we deny ourselves. But, but you could actually miss out on the gift of going and finding a great well where there's life-giving water that God wants to renew you. Where there's life gushing up. We, we, we fast, but we also feast. And Paul says to the young believers as he's writing his letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22. Young ones, remember this. It's easy. It's a bunch of twos. 2 Timothy 2.22. Tattoo this on your soul. Paul says, flee youthful lusts. Yes, of course, flee youthful lusts, but pursue. Flee lust, pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We need boundaries, yes, but we also need beauty. The beauty of the Lord. Don't just spend all of your energy going, I'm denying myself this and my life is so miserable and I'm so hungry right now and I just wish, like, deny yourself, but come over to this place where you can receive the beauty of the Lord and you go, Father, train me in the beauty of your holiness. How can a young person keep their way pure? By hiding their face in the word of God. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I worship you, almighty God, there is none like you. I worship you, O Prince of Peace. That is what I long to do. I give you praise for you are my righteousness. I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. Yes, fast, but you have to feast. And as you feast, you become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And, and, and you, you start to think well and you start to forgive those. And, and when you see the beauty around you, you go, good job, God. And you keep moving on and you don't get swept away into lust. We need both. We need to fast and we need to feast. Don't just run from sexual temptation, run to the righteousness. The question I want to ask at the end of this, before the band comes, is what's the goal of all this? Why is Jesus talking to us about this? Well, he knows that the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, and he knows that this is something that can pick us off. It can, it can, it can ravage our lives. So Jesus is doing this to protect us and to save us. But what's the goal of all this? The goal is not simply sexual restraint. We do need sexual restraint. We do need boundaries. The goal, though, is to become the kind of person who wouldn't do that stuff even if nobody would ever know. Come on, talk to me today. Not just, oh, I'm, I'm keeping myself away from all this and, and your furrowed brow and, and it's so difficult and all the facts. Like, the goal is to become the person that even if you were guaranteed that nobody would ever know, you say, I'm not doing that. Why? Because it would violate the beauty of God. 
It would break the father's heart. And all I want is communion with him. And all I want is a true integrity in my being. And even if no one ever knew, it doesn't matter. I'm not going there because it destroys the human being. Friends, the goal is to become a person of deep integrity. That you're the same person on the stage as you are in the quietness of your home. That you're the same person in the boardroom on Tuesday mornings leading your meeting as you are when no one's around. You're the person who lives with integrity in the righteousness of God. You're a person who's been made holy by Jesus. Friends, that is the goal. So fast and feast. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus and enjoy the beauty of God's world. And as we do this, friends, we'll look up decades from now and we'll see that we've been made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen today, church? Would you stand with me? Well, there you go, Lord. There's, there's three groups of people that I want to talk to before we come to the table of the Lord. This is, this is a must. The first group that comes to mind is before we come to the table of the Lord, those of you who are carrying such overwhelming shame. And I say to you, if you feel shame, rebuke it and cast it out because it is not from God. There is therefore, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you and me free from the law of sin and death. The spirit comes to convict. He does not come to condemn. So if condemnation, if the enemy's whispering in your ear, oh yeah, I remember what you did. And oh yeah, you've had years and years of that horrible habit and that horrible routine and the people you've taken it. If, if you're hearing that right now, rebuke it in the name of Jesus because it is not of God. And what you do is you come into the presence of the Lord and you lay down your shame and you receive his righteousness. If shame is here today, we cast it out in the name that is above every name. Can you say amen? Second group of people people who are addicted. You feel trapped in habits, routines, and rhythms. You've been, you've been waiting to be free for a decade. You've been waiting, you just, and, and every time you, you slip back into that, the, the shame comes. If, if you feel addicted, I'm here to tell you today that there is freedom in the light of Jesus Christ. And if God can't set you and me free from things, what are we even doing here? If God can't set us free, then we're wasting our time. But here's my rule of thumb. If you've been around here any length of time and you've heard me, my rule is if God raised Jesus from the dead, anything's on the table. So if he can raise up his son who is in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, he can raise you up from the tomb of your bad habits and your addictions. And so if you're, if you're addicted today, I say to you, there is freedom in the light of Jesus. Keep confessing, keep coming forward, find friends in our, in our care center out here in the lobby. We've got addiction recovery groups. Swing out there and get that information and walk with the people of God and walk your way into freedom with his spirit. Can you say amen today, church? The third group. We've got the, those carrying shame, those trapped in addiction. But I need you to hear this. Those of you who have been traumatized and abused by someone else's sexuality. On behalf of God, I say I'm sorry. That was never his intent for you. 
And when these moments happen, the enemy rushes right in behind it saying, you deserve that. If you just live different, that wouldn't happen to you. That doesn't happen to good people. That happens to bad people. And I rebuke that lie today in the name of Jesus. If you have been traumatized or abused by someone else's sexual perversion, I pray today that you would feel the comforting surrounding presence of the Holy Spirit, that God would pour oil on those wounds today and to bandage up your broken heart, to heal you to the deepest places that was never his will and he's not going to leave you in that brokenness he's here to restore you today church can you please give me a big amen right there here's what we need to do our communion servers are going to come and we're going to come through and get the communion elements if you're not able to come through ask the person next to you to bring you an extra they would love to do that Our communion servers are going to come, but before they do, we need to pray. We need to invite God into into the depths of our lives, the depths of our desires. We need to ask God to have his healing way with us. And so this prayer is going to come up on the screen. It's a prayer of confession, and it's lifted right out of Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 was written by someone who used to be a man after God's own heart, King David, who now is trapped in adultery. He's blown his life up and the lives of the people around him with his stupidity. And David, in this moment, he doesn't run away in shame. He falls on his knees and he says, most merciful God, heal me, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. So whoever you are today, if you've got shame, if you've got addiction, if you've got trauma that you've experienced, can you take these words? We're talking to the merciful God and we need him to heal us. So join me in praying this prayer together saying, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name and all God's people said. The good news of the gospel is that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, God is not mad at you. And if God before you, who can be against you today? Cleansing and healing and forgiveness is overtaking our lives and overtaking this room. Friends, you are clean in Jesus name. Can we celebrate that today? As we sing this song, I want you to come through the room if you're able. If you're not, bring an extra for the person next to you. Hold these communion elements once you get back to your seat and I'll come up in just a few minutes to receive. Let's